All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we'll be in Ephesians 5 and 6, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, Ephesians 5 and 6. Got a sign-up sheet out there for the garage sale coming up pretty quickly. So uh, what we're going to do is Sunday um, before, we're going to tear everything down, get all the chairs stacked up and pushed off to the side and get everything cleaned out, you know, for for all the stuff to be put up so that when people start bringing stuff on Wednesday or sometime that week, um, you can actually bring it any time at that point. Um, we can just have a place and get it right to where it goes. We don't have to move it twice, then is the idea. So, um, but we do have a sign-up sheet for helping on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, if you can come any of those days, just put your name down so we know that you're going to be there, and that'll help. That'll help us get the thing manned. So anyway, that's what's going on. Also, uh, camp registration, you can put them in the basket when you fill them out right behind the sign-up sheets that are already out there. So um, if you want to help for that week for camp, Um, You can sign up if you need to get a registration form for your kid. We've got those out there too. And then also a place for you to place your registrations once they're completed. All right. Ephesians 5. Now, as Paul writes his letter to the Ephesians here, he is speaking to a group of folks that they don't know what it means to be walking with God. I mean, it's one thing if you're talking to a Jew. um, You could tell them how to walk with God. But these guys don't have, really have any idea what it even means to, to serve this, this uh, well, God, Him. You know, they've served idols before. They've done whatever the idol or the priest said the idol wanted done because um, the idols are deaf and dumb and can't speak. Um, so they've followed all these other traditions, and they're, they're kind of out of whack, obviously. They've got strange ideas about all sorts of things. And so in these last two chapters, he kind of sets up the order of things, what it looks like in a family what it looks like in society, what, a, what a, a society governed by God looks like. And there's an authority structure, and he, he lays it out for him here. Um, and this will be foreign to them. And so he's going to ease into it, saying, I want you to be imitators of God, and then later on tell them what that doesn't look like. Um, and that's kind of a hard pill to swallow, because um, in our day and age, uh, this letter doesn't need to be made relevant. It just is very relevant, because there's a bunch of people that just don't know what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus or someone who walks with God. Um, and so a lot of these things are new to people. Wait a minute, I thought, I thought we got rid of all this stuff. I thought we were beyond this or grew, which is what Satan loves to teach. Um, it's the same lie as he shared in the garden. You know, God set up a specific thing that they're not supposed to do, something he really thought, you know, and, and Satan comes along and whispers in her ear and says, that's, that's old school. New school is... You can have wisdom just like God. And he doesn't want you to eat that fruit because he doesn't want you to be wise like God. And so right from the beginning, Satan trying to divide people against the authority structure. God's God, and we do what he says. And Satan whispered and said, God's God tells you what to do because he doesn't want you to be like him. And so rebellion was birthed in Eve at that point, and Adam then after that. And so there's some straightening out God wants to do. And this is one of those letters, and Paul does it in a great way, of course. Um, He doesn't pull any punches uh, but he definitely says what they need to hear. Okay, and so this, this evening we'll start off with verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So he starts off with, this is the example God set for us. He doesn't want us to do something he doesn't do. He wants you to really imitate him like, like, a, like a child would a father. Um, imitate him. Um, and kids do that. They, they do what, what their parents do. They follow that. Um, of course, we, we kind of hit on that a little bit on Sunday morning, that this is our 
Sunday school and our Wednesday school time, but it it should never replace the the education that you're giving your kids at home, not only in word and in in study, but, but also in deed. As they see you walk with Jesus, they will imitate not what they hear here at church. They're going to imitate what they see in the home. And that's how important it is that we walk that way. Um, and so he says that. Now, be imitators of God. Now, that doesn't relieve us of the responsibility to walk better than our parents walked. I love it if my kids would walk closer to God than I have. That, that's my hope, um, that they do do that. And so Paul doesn't take them to be imitators of your parents as they walk with God, but I want you as dear children to walk as imitators of God. You have now your relationship with God. Walk that way. Walk that way. And it is a walk. Um, it's not an indoctrination. It's not a having the right head knowledge about it. It's an actual living it out, a walk, you know, um, like dear children, children that are endeared to their dad. Walk in love. God is love. Walk in that. It covers everything when you're walking in love. You, you don't do other people harm. You don't do wrong. You're, you're able to forgive quickly because you love, um, not because you're bitter or angry. Those will with you know, keep that from happening. You can't walk in love that way. And so when you're an imitator of God, you're going to walk in love because he does. It's what he does. So this is, yeah, a lesson on what we're supposed to do, but it also gives us great insight into who God is. If we're supposed to imitate God and Paul says, I want you to walk in love, that means our God walks in love, obviously. But it's nice to hear, you know. My God doesn't walk in wrath, although he has it. He doesn't walk in Um, vindictiveness, although he has it, he walks in love. He's looking to forgive. He's looking to not bring vengeance. He's looking to not have wrath. And every parent understands that. Give me a way out, kid, from giving you a spanking. I don't want to. Show some repentance. Show some sign of sorrow. Um, and, And when you do that, when you judge yourself, little guy, little gal, then I don't need to judge you. And our father works just like that. Um, while we were enemies, he found a way for us to come into heaven. That's how much he walks in love. He walks in love in such a way that he gave his son for us, and that's why he shares that with us. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. That is the best expression of love anybody could ever offer. And God, God did do that. He sent his son to die for us. An offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. It pleased the Father to bruise the Son. He loved, God loved what he gained in us by what Christ suffered at the cross. He loved it. It pleased the Father. And so Paul lays all that out because he's about to tell them something that they've never heard before. And so he wants to preface that with, God does this. And so here's what it doesn't look like. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talk, talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. That's what I want you to be known for, giving of thanks. The fornication, uh, it's, it's not of God, and, and he's going he's gonna to get a little even more intense here, but fornication is any kind of sex outside of marriage. It's not allowed. Adultery covers in marriage, um, you know, but any kind of sex outside of marriage isn't, isn't even to be named as fitting among you. It, um, you. You don't talk about it like it's, well, this is you know, 21st century. It's just kind of what you do. You try each other on for size. You live with each other for a while. You kind of figure things out. And, um, and, and then maybe, you know, if we're compatible long enough, maybe we'll, we'll go ahead and 
we'll get married then, you know. Um, no, as a Christian, we're not a part of that game. Um, that's a worldly game. Um, in the world, kids practice marriage and divorce from the first time they have their boyfriend or girlfriend in grade school. They're going together, they write notes together, and then they decide not to walk with each other anymore. And they, You don't think there's any harm, and it's kind of cute. Oh, who's your girl? Like we get, our kids get that question a lot sometimes. Well, not a lot sometimes from relatives or whatever that just aren't walking with the Lord, they'll ask them, you know, who's your boyfriend? You got a girlfriend? And they're looking at him like, what are you talking about? It's absolutely foreign to them because they're raised in our home. They're like, no, I'm not 19. I'm not even thinking about a guy yet because the first guy I get to know is the guy I want to marry. We hope, anyway. And so they ask this because they don't know, but the, what the world thinks is cute and oh, just kind of the way it is You've taught your kids from a very early age to have an emotional attachment, to have an emotional detachment. Emotional attachment, detachment, all through high school. And then they can't figure out why they can't commit later on. Why can't I commit? Well, because I've had 20 experiences in my life where it hasn't worked out. Why would I think that this is going to be any different? And so Paul says, and, and that's, just, that's just that part of it. Fornication is taking it a step further. Obviously, a, a much bigger step further. Giving yourself away to the other, which is meant to be one time with one person for the rest of your life. That's how it's intended. That's how God intended it. When you do that, when you break that kind of attachment to a person and then a detachment, that messes up that area of marriage almost forever. It takes a lot of untying of knots for God to do in a godly marriage once it's established to get that physical activity straightened out to becoming a godly activity in that marriage. In that marriage. And so God says, it's just not good for you. Don't do it. It's not meant for that. Um, and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting and what they mean is, he's not talking about sarcasm because Paul's very sarcastic. What he's talking about is making fun of someone at their expense to get the, to get the laugh, is what he's talking about. Um, um, don't be doing that coarse jesting um, and that foolish talking. That can be about anything. Um, just watch your mouth, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For, for this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Um, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Um, the reason Christ had to die was for those very things. And for anybody to have empty words like that to teach you that those things aren't sin is to diminish what Christ did on the cross. It's not just trying to make people feel better and not so distant from God. That's usually what modern teaching, and um, I don't even want to call them pastors, they're really not shepherds, but that's usually where they, where they come from is they just want, they want the, the person to feel comfortable and welcome in church. But when you're in the presence of God, sin is not comfortable. It's, a not, it's not supposed to be comfortable. Um, we're supposed to be uncomfortable with sin in the presence of God. And, and I expect that and I want that in my life. Not perfect. I'm often uncomfortable in the presence of God. Let me get that out there um, because of my sin that I have to get right with the Lord about. 
um, and confess to him and get straightened out, you know, and, and acknowledge it as sin. We don't want seekers. Um, we want to be friendly to seekers, but we don't want to be so seeker friendly that we don't, that they're comfortable in their sin. Paul's very clear on that. I don't want you comfortable in your sin. Um, He's writing a letter to a group of people here that are walking away from the Lord, telling them, look, you should not be comfortable in your sin, flat out. Um, And this is our example, um, that we're supposed to walk in the same kind of candidness with people. Um, People don't come to Christ because they come to Christ because they know they need a Savior. And if they come to Christ for any other reason than knowing they need a Savior, then they're coming for the wrong reasons, and it's not real salvation. You're not being saved from anything. If, If my sin isn't sin... What am I being saved from? What is he saving me from? What is he pulling me out of if it's not fire, if it's not hell? What, is he, what am I gaining by coming to him? Um, and that's where the gospel gets a little twisted. It's not the good news of being saved from the penalty of my sin. It's having a better life. I, want to, I just want a better life. I want to tweak my life a little bit and have Christ in it. And that might tweak it just enough to be a little bit better, maybe a little more health. Um, a little more money might come my way. I might be a nicer person, and I really need to work on being more nice. And they, they miss what they're being saved from. The cross has become um, ineffective. It's become um, neutralized without sin. So um, be careful. and he, he, Don't let those, uh, don't be deceived with empty words, because that's all they are. Man's words, empty words. God's word, powerful, solid, deep. Um, but man's words, when they try to deceive you with empty words, um, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Steer clear. First Corinthians 6, 9-11 through 11 tells us that, gives about the same list, a little more detailed list. It says, and such were some of you. You're not those things anymore. Such were some of you. So, so don't be like that anymore. You've been changed into a new creature in Christ, a new creation. Um, be that. Walk in love. So, all right, verse 8. For you were once darkness, not in darkness. (laughs) You were once darkness, but now you are light. Not in the light, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. So let me take out that parenthetical statement and read that again. Walk as children of light, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Everybody flips the light on, I think, when you go into a room. It's just wise. <laughs> you know, when you've got kids and Legos, you flip a light on. You just have to, or, or you're going to be limping. And Because uh, um, no matter where that Lego is, my foot finds it every single time. And it hurts. I don't know what it is. I'm just kind of a wimp, I guess. But you turn the light on because you want to know where the traps are, where the, where the stub toe is going to be, where the problem is. And God says it's as simple as that, as he tells Paul to write this to the Ephesians. Just walk in light and find out. When you walk with Christ, in Christ, in God's word, throughout this world, you just it naturally exposes darkness. It naturally shows what was in the darkness anyway and how to avoid it. Um, those who like the, the sin in that darkness, well, they don't like the light on. They like it off. That's why when you go to in high school, I don't remember if you've ever been like I was, but you go to the parties and the lights go dim because everything needs to be darker and everything needs to be a little more hidden and everybody's a little more um, com- comfortable with it, whatever else goes on there. And um, the darkness is, is there to hide and to cover. 
And we used to be that, he says. You guys used to be darkness. You used to like the lights off. You used to make the lights off, you know. That's why we have street lights. It, uh, it discourages crime, you know. Um, any kind of movie, you ever watch that? They take the lights out, don't they? You know, they shoot the lights out so they can go in. Um, but not us. We're lights. Um, we're to be light. And not everybody's going to appreciate that. That's what I get out of this the most. Not everybody's going to appreciate that light that you carry, that you are in their life or in your workplace or in your family. Not everybody's going to appreciate that light because it ruins the mood. It makes everybody uncomfortable. I'm comfortable. Um, I, I, my, my inhibitions are down, um, and, and the dark helps with that. Um, but now you've turned the light on, and now I'm uncomfortable, and I can't say what I want to say. I can't be the person I normally am around you. I can't say the jokes I'd normally say. I can't use the language I'd normally say. It's uncomfortable. And so expect that kind of persecution, um, if you call it that. That's just, that's just walking as a son or a daughter of God. Um, he gets persecuted. They don't like him. And if you're walking correctly, they're not going to like you like they don't like him. That's okay. Um, you're not there to be hateful or spiteful. You're still to walk in love, but you're still to have your light on. That's what you do. Um, and when you don't, and when you find yourself dimming your light around certain people, only you know. But check yourself. Call yourself on it. You know it. When I'm around these people, I kind of dim my light a little bit because I don't want to feel too uncomfortable around me, so I just dim my light. You know, that's what he's talking about. You walk in light. Um, we're supposed to be that way. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. You can't help it. You don't have fellowship with those things. What fellowship can there be with darkness? Um, evil and good can't fellowship together. They can't dwell together. Um, we're juxtaposed. <laughs> you can't have a dark and light room at the same time. Either the switch is on or off. And Paul's just making it very clear to them. And boy, did they know darkness. You know, they don't have electricity, obviously. You've had lamps, and lamps put off a very little bit of light. But boy, when it does, and your eyes have adjusted to the dark, it's really bright. I mean, it worked. And that's why he says it like this. Let your light so shine among men. Um, if it exposes, it exposes. You can't witness, you can't share Christ without your light. Um, I don't have to make a big deal out of it. What I mean by that is when I walk up to somebody as a Christian who's an unbeliever, I don't have to make a big deal out of the fact that I know they're an unbeliever and that I can see their sin. It just happens. When I'm in their presence, because I'm walking with God in love, with light, it just naturally shows up. They're, they're uncomfortable about certain things. But with that fellowship you can't have in darkness, what they're searching for and hungering for in their heart comes out. That's when those great talks start, those meaningful talks. You're not talking about sports, weather, crops, cattle, Whatever it is that you do, you stop talking about that stuff, and all of a sudden you start talking about life, death, sin, salvation. Those things come up. 
a more meaningful walk, a more meaningful talk with your friends, uh, even enemies, comes up when you're walking and you don't dim your light. It happens. They know who to go to. It's been coming up a lot today, what you said. Um, I've been thinking about that a lot. I, I live waiting for Christ to return. I live that way. I'm just waiting for him to come back. I know he's coming back. I'm looking for him to come back. I go about my business. I occupy till he comes. I live my life. I make money. I give it to my family to spend on food and whatever else they need to do, and that's what we do. But I live for that, and I, and I, and I want... I want to, like he says in verse 15 here, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I don't have time to dim my light. I don't have time for superficial conversations. They happen, but I always want to be open and ready for the ones that actually matter in eternity, those conversations. And so I want to walk in such a way. He says redeeming the time. In other words, what we do every day matters. It isn't just, oh, I'm just biding my time. That's how some Christians walk, just biding their time. Well, Jesus is coming back pretty soon. I'm just going to stay low, and I'm just going to make it. You know? And Paul says, that's not good enough. That's kind of a Confucius kind of thing. Confucius kind of said, just don't do anybody any harm. Whereas Christ said, no, don't do anybody harm. Do good. You, you, there's some action to be done. Likewise, walk redeeming the time. Your, the outcome matters because the days are evil. Walk circumspectly like it matters. <laughs> You know, everything I say, everything I do matters. I'm in an interesting business now, this real estate thing. Um, 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 I don't, I, I, I'm completely trusting in God for honesty to be the best policy, um, which isn't how everybody operates, unfortunately. Um, but I'm redeeming the time. I'm walking circumspectly. There's a lot more at stake here than a commission check. There's a lot more at stake than, than someone just getting their house sold or getting into a house. You know, um, There's morality that needs to be upheld in this. Um, and so I walk now in this business uh, circumspectly. Um, I'd rather lose that. Than, than, than lose the morality, <laughs> than the light. Um, I'd rather lose that than, than, than have darkness. Uh, it's not worth it. Um, so you redeem the time because the days are evil. Um, and that was back then, you know. And it's, it's, you know, we say, boy, things are getting worse and worse. I don't know. The Corinthian church was pretty awful. A spirit-filled church, but boy, they were way, way off base. And so I don't know that we're that... I just don't think change, things have changed that much. I think it's just a constant flow is what it is. Um, the days are evil now, 2,000 years ago, and now, 21st century, the days are still evil. Um, it's still the same ruler of the air, um, the prince of the air, Satan, running things. He's not changed. He's the same here as he is today. Um, and he still wants us to walk dimly in darkness, and he doesn't want us to be light as Christians. And he'll whisper that in our ears. He'll tell us, don't be such a strong cup of coffee. Um, because that makes his job a whole lot easier, obviously. So anyway, 
Paul says, you don't have time. Walk circumspectly. Don't be fools, but be wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. In other words, we can know what the will of the Lord is. I don't know what the will of God is. Paul says we can know. Um, We can find that out. Um, And we're to find that out. We're to look for it. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, that was a long sentence. But what he's trying to get across is, have you, well, I've been that drunk. I'm a happy drunk when I was a drunk. I was one of the happy ones. Everybody was awesome. I loved everybody, you know, and I'd talk to him like that. Do you know how much I love you? And they're like, yeah, just go home, J.D., you know, you're an idiot. Oh, man, I mean, I know, you know, and you'd go on and on, and they're just, you just, that annoying. Paul has the same experience that you don't get any, you're not any cooler drunks back then. They're the same drunk as we are today. He says, better yet, when you're that way, not drunk, be drunk in the Spirit. I mean, talk to people about Jesus. Man, that's all you talk about is Jesus. I know, but He's so great. He's so awesome. He loves us so much. He's so, Would you shut up with the Jesus stuff? I can't. You know, and I'm not saying we're to act drunk. Some people take this verse as you're, when you're under the power of the Holy Spirit, you act like a drunken sailor and you walk around. That's absolutely unbiblical and not what the Holy Spirit does at all. That's someone faking it or some other influence. Um, no, he's saying when you speak to each other, instead of fawning over them like a drunk does, fawn over them with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. They would dance before the Lord. David danced and uh, Miriam danced before the Lord. And, and they're they big into this expression of God in such joy like you would at a wedding or, like, or, or anything, um, any kind of good time. They're, they're, but they do it for God. Um, and Paul says, switch. Switch from the worldly version, which is nothing but you lying to the people around you under the influence of alcohol. Instead, be filled with the Spirit and let that be pouring out of you. Let it, let the Holy Spirit, Him, excuse me, Him, the Holy Spirit, affect every part of your body like alcohol affects every part of your body. Let it permeate every cell, you know. May it, may it, may it change your mind. As much as you're under the influence of alcohol and it causes you to lose your, uh, to be, uh, you know, open and more free to do whatever you feel like doing, let the Holy Spirit affect you the exact same way. I would have never talked to them about Jesus. I don't know what came over me, but all of a sudden I'm talking to them about the Lord and they're looking at me with their jaw open thing. I can't believe you're saying this to me. I can't believe I'm saying it either. You know those are some of the greatest times. They don't happen all the time, but a lot of times it does happen, you know, if you allow it, if you allow him. And so he says, and that's part of it, submit to one another in the fear of God. Submit. Submit to the Holy Spirit. Let him use you however he wants to in those crazy ways, you know, that the only way you would have done that is if you were drunk. The only way you could get me to go up there and say something is if I, you know, I can't karaoke, not unless I have a few beers in me, then I could karaoke. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, you can get up and share the gospel with kings. 
two kings. Billy Graham, just amazing, amazing. Sometimes Franklin Graham, I see him, he tries. He's a good, great, he's great, wonderful, don't get me wrong, but he's not Billy. He, he tries to share the gospel on CNN, on Fox, and all those things when he does it, but it's labored. The way Billy Graham did it, it was just so natural. It wasn't like he was looking for an opportunity to do what he's supposed to do when he's on TV to share the gospel because everybody expects me to. He's not like that. It would be genuine. He'd be talking to the person and they'd say something. He goes, well, that's just like Jesus. And he'd start sharing. I'm like, that was amazing. But that's the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit knows how to do it naturally. It's not forced. It's not, this is the Romans road. Um, hold on you know, get my paper here. And that's okay. Sometimes we have to get our cheat sheets out for that. But when the Holy Spirit takes over, it's just natural. You just talk about Jesus the way you know him and what he's done for you. You witness, you know, you are a witness. And so submitting, just submitting to the Holy Spirit, you'll be off and running. And so he says that, submitting to one another in the further now. He gets into the nitty gritty. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So, just as you would submit to the Lord, submit to your own husbands, okay? For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. He doesn't pull any punches. That's a hard one for even our culture to swallow now. We've been taught and indoctrinated so much that that is so archaic and so Victorian and not for today, and... Funny thing is, the people that taught that weren't Christians. The people that taught that, now Christians have adopted that into their own lives and think that, yeah, 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 this isn't really for today anymore. That was a cultural thing back then. It isn't really for today. Um, they've believed a lie. That's not true. Um, this is truth. God's word is truth. Now, you know, and, and, you know the thing for wives, what they're afraid of, and I, I agree, is what am I going to be submitting to? Who am I going to be submitting to? You know, that's a frightening thing. Um, is he a creep? You know, um, is he an unbeliever? Is he, been, is he evil? I mean, just flat out a bad person, you know? Um, do I really need to submit to that, to that kind of person? So they're afraid. Um, and, they sh and you should be. You should be. But you figure that out before you get married. You get to know the person. Um, it, it's easy to be infatuated. It's easy to fall into an infatuation with that person. It's just nice to be liked. It's nice for someone to look at me that way. It's nice for someone to feel that way about me. I've been looking for someone to feel this way about me. And that's great. And you're willing to overlook a lot of stuff that maybe God's trying to show you about that person. Um, and that's why you need to really walk circumspectly. We are getting to know each other, and over time, more and more gets revealed about that person. Um, how deep is their walk with Jesus? How close are they to God? Um, and so, before you get to verse 22 of chapter 5 of Ephesians, make sure that the one you're going to submit to is exactly like Jesus Christ. Because there's nobody easier to submit to than someone who is like Jesus Christ. Because that's why I submit to Jesus Christ, because he's so loving. 
because he puts me first, because he wraps a loincloth around himself and washes my feet, because he cares for me like nobody ever has, because he loves me with, a, with a, an agape love, an unmerited love. It doesn't matter whether I'm a good person or a bad person today. He loves me. And so I can submit to Christ. He's easy to submit to. So wives or girlfriends or women who aren't married, that's who you're looking for. Because verse 22 is in effect when you're married. And before you get married, make sure who you're marrying. Is he this? Is he like Christ? Does he love me like Christ loves the church? Does he love Christ more than me? Does he walk with God? Is he closer to God than I am? Can he lead me spiritually? So, 22 and 23 and 24 are easy at that point. You know, That's what you're looking for. Now, 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. You can spend a lifetime studying that, guys. What does it mean? How did Christ love the church? How does Christ love the church? We went over a little bit for the gals, but guys, do you serve her? Do you wash her feet? Do you make sure she's taken care of? Does she have priority? Do you whine and complain and wonder why she doesn't do more? Or do you do more for her and never expect anything in return? See, Christ does for us without expecting anything in return. That's what the kind of love he has for us. He died on the cross while we were still enemies. And we need to have that same love for our wives or girlfriends or as a single man. That's who you're trying to become like. So that she doesn't have to fear 22, 23, and 24. That it's easy for her to do that. It's the safest place for her is to trust her life in your hands as a man who is following Christ wholeheartedly. And so for husbands to love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for is a short little half verse there. It's a full verse, but half a sentence. Boy, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. He, Christ, allowed the church to crucify him. Allowed it. And also verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. The fact that her husband or the husband washes the wife with the word of God because it helps her. It does help her. It helps your wife when you do that, when you share God's word with her like this. Not, hey, lady, have you read 22, 23, and 24 today? I'm just waiting for you to memorize those verses. I'll give you a test at the end of the... No, no, no. 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 Christ knows how our faults. Jesus knows our faults, right? And he washes us with his word. Slowly but surely, those faults begin to disappear in our lives. And that's what he wants from us. And guys, if, if there are faults in your wife, which there aren't any, right, guys? There's no faults in your wife. It's very good. If there were... You allow God's word to do the work. You allow his Holy Spirit to do the work. Still, you pray for her without her knowing it. <laughs> Been praying for you, honey. No. <laughs> to yourself. And pray that God would show you your heart. That you might know what you're doing wrong. You know, But you pray for her. You study God's word. You know more. You want to be able to give her an answer when she asks a question about God's word. 
And you do that. And then you wash her with it. And you wash her like you'd wash your wife. Not like you'd wash your kids. We just had, Bo just had his bath. And that's, a, that's just a deal. You get them in, you dunk them, you soak them, you scrub them, and you get them out of there quick. You go at it. Uh, that's not how you wash your wife with his word. There's candles. There's bubbles. There's time. There's intimacy. There's gentleness. It's that kind of bath, you know. Um, carefully, carefully. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, um, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Paul's just trying to give a marriage uh, seminar here. And in the middle of it, he realizes his eyes are opened a little bit more to how Christ feels about him as a bride. He says, I'm talking about you guys getting married and how you're supposed to be, but this is like Christ in the church. It's amazing. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I love, this is a, I I, I, this, this section is what I do most for weddings. This is the one chosen by most people. Corinthians 13, of course, but this one's the most because it's so pointed. You know, we got these hardcore believers. They're like, I want my family to know about Jesus, so we're going to do chapter 5. I'm like, really? Okay, here we go. And you should see the crowd as these two are holding hands and staring at each other, and they're looking at each other. They're not seeing Aunt Joan and Uncle Fred going, Submit, you know, and there, and I'm, and then you know, I do, I do, go, go, run, run for your life. Jenny and I had this section used in our in our wedding vows, and and we were actually in the receiving line, you know, when you're shaking hands with anybody. And I remember this guy's name. I'll use his name. Cuthbert was his last name. I'll never forget him. Coming through the line, Jenny's here, and I'm here. She grabs, he grabs her by the hand. She goes, "I hope you don't do anything that pastor said up there." And then went on to me, and I went, pow, but I didn't. That's what I, that's what, this was going on in my head, but I didn't really do it, you know. What kind of creep does that? But he was that offended by the sermon, that offended. Of course, she has done this. And what are we on, 25 years? This is our 25th year of marriage. So I guess Mr. Cuthbert didn't know what he was talking about. People get offended. When you do a wedding, when you come, and we're not going to get to chapter 6, obviously, tonight, but um, we'll close with this. But when you do a wedding, the picture is so beautiful. It's so perfect. As the father brings the bride up to the son, you know, the future son-in-law there, and hands them off, and there's no, the father brings the bride. And she's dressed in white. She's white as snow. She's been made white as snow, and she comes to the marriage. They've been betrothed, but they've been, they've come together now, and and who gives this woman to this man? Uh, now we normally say her, 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 mother, or her mother and I do, and, and so on. It's such a beautiful picture as he, as he takes her and, and brings her up and is now under, from under the covering of the father to the, under, to the covering. It's such a beautiful picture. And she's dressed in white. The whole thing's fantastic. And they stand up here and they make vows to one another. And it's always the boy, the man that initiates to the girl, will you marry me? You know, of course I will. She's the responder as the church, you know. 
Um, Jesus has been the one that offers his love for us, and we return our love to him. It's such a perfect... And then at the end of it, she loses her last name, which is becoming more rare nowadays. Um, but the pictures is, is meant to show that she loses her identity in her husband as the, Christ, as the church loses her identity in Christ. No longer I that live, but Christ live in me. I don't go by me anymore. It's, it's I'm in him. And you see that beautiful picture of them becoming one flesh um, and they put the rings on and they, and they kiss for the first time, intimacy, you know, there for the first time. Such a great picture. And, and Paul sees that. You know, the Jewish wedding was w- way better. I mean, I, we have good weddings. Don't get me wrong, but Jewish is a week-long wedding. I mean, it was, it was intense. Um, they had some different customs. Um, I won't go into um, some, some different things we, we wouldn't be comfortable with today, but um, I mean, they'd be around for the, for the first wedding night. Let's just leave it at that. Um, it's kind of odd. Um, not a lot of privacy at that point. Um, they would cheer <laughs> afterwards. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but seven days, seven days of celebrating. It was, it was huge, you know? And, 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 and then they would go on a honeymoon for a month. A month. A whole month, you know, some of you guys didn't even get a day or a day and a half in Kansas City or something like that, you know, but a whole month. And here's, here's the difference. And I'm not saying we could do that today. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. But the idea is, is they made a big, big deal out of it. Everybody was, took a week off from work. Everybody was there for a week. Everybody was celebrating just those two for an entire week. Can you imagine how special that, you think it's special getting, to, and we, we, we joke around about that. When you get ready for the wedding, there's, there's, there's six months of wedding planning and there's 22 minutes of a sermon and we're done. All of that for 22 minutes and a cake, you know, kind of thing. These guys know how to do it. There's a week-long celebration and then a month long of just enjoying each other, you know. I wonder marriages wouldn't last a little longer if we spent, put a little more emphasis on how important it was, you know, that it wasn't about the cake or the colors necessarily. Um, just the celebrating part was as long as the planning part, you know. Anyway, Paul notices that. And then he pulls himself out of it there for verse 33 as he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Um, Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Make sure you do that, Ephesians, he says. I want you to do that and remember that, um, um, so that you look like, look like you're supposed to. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this beautiful chapter five. Um, You weren't afraid to talk to these folks uh, about what it looks like to be married, what it looks like to have... Um, uh, an order, a structure, an authority set up um, in the marriage. And so, Lord, we don't want to be afraid of that either. Um, both are very true. And if the man is like Christ, the woman wouldn't have a, time, have a hard time and won't have a hard time submitting. Um, the only time women have a hard time submitting, Lord, we know that is when we're not acting like Christ. And that's understandable. It's scary. Lord, I pray for each man here tonight, as we've heard, and it's for us, It's not a CD for somebody else. We were here tonight to hear this message. Help us to be the men of God that you want us to be, to be like your son Jesus, to be conformed into his image for the women you've brought into our lives, that they might have a fearless life with us, 
an anxiety-free life with us because we spend our lives living for them, to serve them, to care for them, to provide for them, Lord. And then, Lord, also, likewise, I pray that you'd help the women. Help them to not only accept your word, but to follow it and to have much grace and mercy for us when we don't act like Christ. But that they would know that your true husband, you, Jesus, is always watching out for them and caring for them and knows their heart. Um, So we pray for marriages, Lord. We pray for future marriages, God. Um, And we pray for your wisdom and your guidance by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.